It is Kill You With Truth with uh, Chocolate Pain with uh, myself. And there's Chad Brown and Nate Jackson. Hopefully will join us here shortly. But I tell you what, Chad, 8 o'clock is 8 o'clock. That's what I'm talking about. We go live every day at 8 o'clock, whether you guys are there or not. Then I just, go ahead. I just talked to my cats. Yeah, Chad, so good to see you overall. Super Bowl, what'd you think? We'll get into some more specifics about the Broncos here in a second. But my first chance to uh, get you on board with the Super Bowl. What'd you, what are your thoughts? Uh, my prediction about the game was correct. Kansas City was three to five points better. So they were three points better. The game came down to about three to five plays as I expected. Um, and I think the experience level of Kansas City being there before was just enough to get them over the hump. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes in that 13-play drive in overtime to get the touchdown. Uh, that was the the game-winning drive. The experience of Patrick Mahomes, the ability for him to dial it up when needed. Hey, Nate, how's it going, my friend? Morning. Good morning. Um, Good morning. So, Good morning. yeah, it, it was a tremendous game. Uh, but in the end, uh, I think it's pretty easy to point to a couple of decisions made by Kyle Shanahan that were to his team's detriment. But it wasn't one of those cases where the Niners lost the game. It was more so a case of Kansas City winning this game uh, due to the greatness of their quarterback and their experienced head coach on the sidelines. All right. Well, Chad, again, I'll go back to you. What did you think about the decision in overtime and the admission by Niners players that they didn't know what the fuck was going on? Details matter, man. Details matter. Coaching matters. Uh, getting your players to understand every possible situation that can come up in the game and what they're supposed to do in that situation is critical. And I thought the decision made by Kyle Shanahan was the wrong one. Uh, I think you always want to go second in an overtime situation so you can know how much risk you need to take to get the, the needed points to get the, the win. And it sounded like via his explanation – that it was a case of two weeks is too much time to prepare. And it gives you a chance to, to overthink the situation. Mm. Oh, we want the ball third. No, 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 no. You want the ball second, man. You don't think you, you went too far down the rabbit hole by thinking you want the ball third. You want the ball second. Right. Um, so it, I think it was an over analysis uh, because of that two week window of the Super Bowl. And it was just one of those decisions where, I think they felt comfortable with it during the week, but given some hindsight, they think they I think they would recognize, yeah, just taking the ball second, man. That's what everyone does in overtime. It's what you're supposed to do. It felt like an explanation, Nate, like like when he's walking from the field, devastated, with graffiti of the Chiefs falling on his head. It's something he thought of like from the sideline walking into the uh what I say, graffiti. People are falling from the ceiling, spray painting on his face. That was <laughs> That's funny that he thought of that as he was walking with all that graffiti falling on him uh, into the press room. I mean, it just, Nate, here we are a couple days later. And, uh, and I know, cause I talked to Tyler who talked to, to um, uh, Kyle via text. They were still defending the decision. But my question was Tyler texted him about the decision. Why? He just texted him like, yeah, well, no, what are you doing, man? What were you doing? He was being nice about it. He's a friend, Cherry Creek. Give me a break. Oh, yeah, they but, did both go to high school. In the same yeah, time. no, they got a lot in common. And they were still defending, Kyle and other coaches were still defending that decision after the game. But my question was, well, okay, 
But what coach in every Super Bowl from now on forever, if put in that same situation, would make that same decision? And and I came up with none, Nate, none. Yeah, unless, you know, their defense was absolutely toast or something like that. But one thing we haven't mentioned is, and, and this is, and this is, this would have worked to his benefit. The third possession becomes sudden death. Yeah. Right. And so there is a chance that if they both scored field goals and the next score wins, and then, then you're in a position to win it. And if you, and, and or, or maybe if you're playing against a, an inferior offense and, and you don't believe that they're going to go down and score, maybe you take the ball first for that reason, or you're worried that they're going to score a touchdown, but no, but I'm with you. I think for the most part, uh, everyone agrees that it was a mistake and he's going to try to defend it. Um, and what Chad mentioned about it being about the details, that's what's surprising about it because Kyle Shanahan is all about the details. He's all about it. I mean, these guys, he sits them down as a team and goes over everything. <clears throat> I mean, everything. I mean, the, the offense is in there when he's talking to the special teamers about the most esoteric, detailed-oriented parts of their job and their technique. Everybody knows everything, theoretically, or that's what he's trying to create there is a bunch of doctorate-level football minds not just the football players, but the guys who see the big picture and see it all. So to to kind of skip over that or forget that part of it, it just shows that, you know, he's still learning. That's what it tells yeah. me, he's still learning. <clears throat> I mean, aside from just that decision-making at the end there, props to Steve Spagnuolo for, for calling a good game and kind of neutralizing most of those offensive weapons except for Christian McCaffrey there. And, um, you know, I think he had like nine um, pressures where guys were not touched. Um, you know, he, they were – you know, made some second half adjustments where they moved to man coverage, but mostly man coverage in the second half, neutralized Brandon Ayuk and Debo. Debo Samuel had like nine targets and only three catches. He just didn't really do anything. And then that last pressure at the end there that forced an errant throw, and then they had to kick a field goal. Steve Spagnuolo was the same D coordinator that, that uh, put Tom Brady and your 2008 Patriots out to pasture, right? With, yeah. With that, right? Yep. yeah. So he has a track record of doing this in big games. Um, so obviously Pat Mahomes, all world, one of the best of all times to do it, but props to Steve Spagnuolo on that defense for, for holding the Niners uh, back when it mattered most. It's a tough one to have to deal with again for Kyle Shanahan. It, I think it's, it's really rough when you hear Kyle Juszczyk who went to Harvard yeah. talk about, um, we weren't prepared. I didn't, this dude went to Harvard and he's saying, I didn't know what was going on. And on the other side, the Chiefs are saying, we talked about this in training camp. We've been drilling on this every week in the postseason. Of course, they were involved with the game that caused the rule change with the Bills, but kind of so what? And, and I got to give Sean Payton a little credit here, Chad, because I do believe he does focus on those little details. Now, maybe things don't always go his way in terms of you know decisions during the game. But at least I know with Sean Payne, it's been thought out. I really do believe that. I think that's one of his better attributes. I think it is. But, yeah, I mean, I did my internship in San Francisco. And uh, when I say it was a mistake, you know, it was I was thinking it was a mistake probably by admission by Kyle Shanahan that uh, his team did not know that. At the same time, before we go, you know, breaking our arms, patting the Chiefs on the back, McCole Harmon, who caught the game-winning touchdown, he didn't know the game was over. So, and, <laughs> Let's well, not... he said he said he blacked out, meaning it was just, you know, he was just kind of lost in the moment. But, you know, I'm pretty sure he knew he made a good play. Um, 
you know, I think he, well, all right. Are you saying, do you think he really just got lost in the moment or he was really like, what happened? Like, I think he did not know exactly what that, how that overtime situation, what the rules were, <laughs> what the, you know, current rule is. I mean, let's not forget there was a couple of, it was a game of what, five, seven years ago where players didn't know during the regular season, the game could end in a tie. Um, so it's do not be surprised by the lack of situational understanding and rule understanding of NFL football players, uh, particularly. Well, you're just more- saying you're just saying NFL players are dumb, not that they're being coached, that they're stupid. I'm not saying or they, don't, or they don't pay attention. I'm, I'm saying, yes, there, there's a significant percentage, not a majority, but a significant percentage of players who do not understand the rules. And when something like this comes up, yes, there are players on the field who do not know what the rule is. D-Mac, do you know, do you remember everything you were ever taught in school? No, but I know everything that has having to do with my job. Everything? Really? Yes. (laughs) I may may screw up. I I knew I was getting fired. How about that? I knew that was coming. Saw that one coming. Saw that down the road. I think that, you know, until you go through a, a situation in football that's difficult or complex, you don't really fully grasp it i mean you can get taught it you can sit in a room and have them tell you if this happens and this could happen and this can happen and that's one thing to to have it sink in like that or try to have it sink in like that a lot of times coaches if they want it to sink in they'll try to drill it on the field as well i know sean payton does that he talked about the 55 situations relative to playing time uh situations and um so he tries to prepare but he's not preparing them for all 55 right so there's there's some that just arise and you're not ready for them or you've been told about them but oh oh okay that's the thing you know and um you don't want it to happen in overtime of the super bowl that's the thing so there's i'm sure there's situations out there that none of us have ever seen that exist in the rule book that we would Mm -hmm. be surprised if we encountered the 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 trick or the crazy thing is that that it happened in that moment when it was all 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 the all the marbles on the line okay there's another story out there that I'm shaking my head at, and I definitely need your guidance on. But a scenario where Russell Wilson could come back to the Broncos, like that is being put into consideration, being reported by Tom Pelissero and Ian Rappaport. Now, I did do some digging around on that, and I was told there's nothing to it. But what's the posturing all about, Chad? Why is this even coming up? Is there a world of possibility where Russ could be back? I think the Broncos need to keep all their options open. Um, with the 12th pick in the draft, how likely are you to get a quarterback that can contribute in year one? And then what's your possibility of getting by with uh, some journeyman backup kind of thing? So maybe they're looking at that. Hopefully that's not the case because, you know, you and I talked during the week and I must have did 30 plus radio hits around the country and at least half of them I was asked about Russell Wilson. So I don't want to be an ass in 15 radio markets around the country and be wrong. Uh, it has to be some kind of, to your point, posturing situation where they're trying to give themselves a, an opportunity. Maybe they're not trying to seem so desperate in the draft. Maybe they want to sneak and have a conversation with somebody to slide into the top five. And so they have to play up this Russell Wilson thing to be a smokescreen to their true intentions. It's got to be something like that. To imagine Russell Wilson and Sean Payton trying to get that band back together, 
They ain't going to play good music together. We saw it last year. Sean Payne's not going to change, and Russell Wilson is too old in his career to change how he processes at the quarterback position. And to be the quarterback that Sean Payton wants is just not a real possibility. Nate? I think there's – okay. So there's a chance that Sean Payton discovered in those last couple games where he started his little – his buddy, uh, Jarrett Stidham, mm-hmm. that maybe the team sucks and it's not the quarterback that's sucking right now. Maybe okay. – I wasn't preparing these guys better to play better. You know, nothing's more exciting or enticing than the, than the unproven quarterback, than the guy who's waiting in the wings behind the guy who you're frustrated with. So everyone's frustrated with Russell because it's not looking good. It's got to be Russell. It's got to be Russell. You sit Russell down. Jarrett goes in there, and he looks even worse. Pretty pedestrian, right? And so you maybe you take a step back, and you think, okay, it's not Russell's fault, or it's not all Russell's fault. Let's look at what we have here. Let's look at our options. We're at sitting at 12. Do we like any of these guys? Do we like any of the guys in the free agent market? Look at this money we've spent on Russell, these mountains we've moved. What's the best course of action here? And I, I, I promise you that conversation has taken place, at least with the realization that Jarrett Stidham was maybe not as good as we thought. Now, that's only two games, and that, what is that's three total games he's ever started. So he has a large learning curve. But I, I don't think anybody looked at Jarrett Stidham's performance in those two weeks and said, that's the guy of the future there. And so who is the guy of the future here? Um, but I agree with you that, that they should move on from Russell. Um, you know, when you bench a guy like that in the middle of the season, a guy who's supposed to be your leader, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in the rest from the rest of the team. And, and as a player, I want to know that my coach – believes in this quarterback that we're putting out there like let's move all move in the same direction here if you think he's full of shit and he's not then then i'm going to start thinking that and the cracks in the in the castle show up and stuff like that so whoever it is i want you i want you to have confidence in him and let's move forward and i feel like sean payton has showed that he does not have confidence in russell wilson yeah the story in and of itself surprised me i know tom pelicero is close with george payton so i was trying to figure out well where is this actually coming from Then the reality of the situation, fellas, is that by the fifth day of the league year, which happens to be St. Patrick's Day, good for guys like me, we like to drink and we don't tan. That is a day that stands out like, well, you got to do something by then or the money in 2025 becomes guaranteed. So, Nate, what is the right timeline here? What, What would be the appropriate time to just sort of announce one way or the other what the heck you're doing with Russ? As soon as possible, man. I think, they think should, so. Uh, yeah. I think they should, if they want a new quarterback, then announce it before St. Patty's and just, you know, take the beat, the money, money wise, and move forward. <clears throat> if you know he's not your guy and you want to build something long term here and with the guys you have in the room that you do believe in, then get rid of them and get someone. Well, when you, your- when you say as soon as possible, I mean, yeah, that's the last you can do it is March 17th. Well, yeah, but I mean, March, by March 17th. I mean, okay, but, but not not this week, not next yeah. week. You know, I don't you, see a reason for that. Okay, because you yeah. still got you still you still want to study. You still want to figure out what your options are. You still want to create the illusion that you know you still want to be able to move like like play some chess with Russell and all that and make. I don't know. I don't know all the moves that would be going on, but could you trade him? Would would someone take on take that on? I, I don't know. Chad, it's. Uh, I mean, the trade thing is difficult because then the eighty five million becomes part of the salary cap this year instead of spread out over two years if you release them with after a June 1st designation. So there's some of the salary cap uh, ramifications that need to be considered as well. 
And so you were talking about, you know, they, they spent some time this offseason looking at the quarterback market and then draft and this, that, and the other. I would hope before they made this decision late last year that they did that as well. Now, of course, it was during the season, but that's what Sean Payton relies upon George Payton for, to draw up those scenarios. And when we're having these discussions, it's not just a drilled down, closed view of the next week of football. This decision has ramifications going forward. And George Payton, tell me about the quarterback market. Tell me what quarterbacks uh, who I could possibly bring in that could, you know, be a starter for for the first six games while we draft somebody who are available in the last year of their deal. I need all that information before I make this decision. It's not made in a vacuum about Russell Wilson or Jared Stidham. It's made with an eye towards next year and who's going to be our quarterback next year. So if they're not thinking that far ahead, then that's a dereliction of duty in my mind that they are just now beginning to look at what the other quarterback possibilities are. Um, so hopefully that is not the case. They spent some time discussing that and discussing the quarterback future before they made that decision to bring in Jared Stidham over Russell Wilson. Um, yeah, I, I, the trade doesn't just seems unlikely because an $85 million dead cap hit would hamstring your opportunity to build your team next year in ways that literally the NFL has never seen before. I know the salary cap goes up every year, but $85 million dead cap hit would just be crushing to your roster. So what a story. Over two years is really the way to do that. What a story that would be if Sean Payton could lead his team to the Super Bowl with an $85 million dead cap hit. That would be something else. And power rankings are coming out from ESPN. They have the Broncos at 23rd, which roughly would be another 8-9 and nine sort of season. That's the expectation right now. And the main concern is quarterback. So it is rinse and repeat, and we're paying for the sins of our father as John Elway handed the Super Bowl trophy to the Chiefs because metaphorically he gave it to them years ago when he took Bradley Chubb instead of Josh Allen. That's that's the way it goes, brothers. So you can't choose when you suck. Suck it up, buttercup. I will ask you guys, when you look at the age of some of these guys coming out, Penix will be 24. Knicks will be 24. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Whereas J.J. McCarthy's only 21. Where do you stand, Chad, in terms of the age of a quarterback coming out into the into the NFL? Uh, I think the Bill Parcells thought that you need your college quarterback to have started at least 17 games. I think that's the correct number. Um, I think that's a good thing. Well, um, Nick's, Nick's has 61, so he's got that covered. He does have that covered, but I think I don't think Bo Nix is a Sean Payton-style quarterback. But I think you want a quarterback with some experience. And so for these guys who have you know gone one place and moved to a different system, well, they've proven that they can learn different systems. They can make that transition. Um, so if you're a, a GM and you are a owner, when you're having those conversations and the head coach isn't involved, you go, well, right now this is our head coach. But two years down the road, it could be a new head coach. And Michael Penix has proven he can adapt to a new style. Bo Nix has proven he can adapt and excel in a new style. So I think there's something to be said for that. Um, I, these small window quarterbacks, they would make me incredibly uncomfortable if I were an owner in a GM. I need to see a track record. I need to see you get knocked down a few times. I need to see your, your backbone, your resilience. I need to see all that because you are going to suffer as a rookie quarterback. And so your ability to show that you can handle that and come out on the other side still confident, still feeling good about yourself, still with your wits about you. We've seen some highly drafted quarterbacks not be able to come back at a high level after a terrible or rough rookie year. Mm. So most guys are going to go through those growing pains. I need a guy who's proven that he's already done that in college for me to feel comfortable.
Nate? Um, my freshman year of high school, I played running back. Um, that was my first year as uh, of football, tackle football. Hadn't hit puberty yet. Was getting my ass kicked all year long. Sophomore year, I switched to quarterback. I played quarterback for one year, but I backed up my friend who, who started the previous year. I started one game that year. It was against the number one team in the league, and it was my buddy uh, had cut his hand making a Halloween decoration, okay? And so I got thrust into the starting role like that day. And we lost 35-0, and I threw, threw three picks. Why? Because the perception, the perceptual awareness, the things you see and the things you see beyond, hmm. the understanding of where the pressure's coming and what you're seeing and all that was – was a lot. And it wasn't until the fourth quarter where I started to start to feel comfortable enough to, oh, I feel that. And I dropped it and it still got picked. Okay. Mm. So it takes a long time to understand the moving bodies around you, to understand the perceptual awareness, to, to be able to see things in your periphery, to process all the things going on. And so a player like Trey Lance, who had one season under his belt, mm. who comes in is, is drafted based on that, Right. To me, it's destined for failure. I like a guy who's had a ton of reps. Okay. Not so much because it's a system that he's learned, but because he has a feel for the game, a feel for the bodies moving gotcha. around him, a feel for guys like Chad coming up the field at him, and he right. doesn't get so scared that he locks in on Chad and looks at Chad in the eyes and doesn't see what's happening around him, the I guy right behind Chad who's open that he can just dump it to. So the more reps to me is, is great. Quarterbacks are protected in this league. They can play till they're 40 mm -hmm. if they stay clean. And so you'll get that on the back end if you get a quarterback who's a little bit older and more experienced. I think that's fine. Guys, there were more eyeballs on this Super Bowl than ever before through streaming platforms, Paramount Plus, NBC, um, you name it, Nickelodeon, Univision, uh, Univision you, you name it, people were watching it. It came down to the last play of the game in overtime or the last the last play that happened during the game that it wasn't, you know, three, two, one, the game was over. In fact, you really have to wonder why was there any kind of clock at all? I don't actually understand that. They could have just had a play clock and you could have just switched field every two possessions, kind of like tennis when you go back and forth, but you know, whatever made it a little confusing in my opinion. That being said, the way the game ended, the establishment of a dynasty with the chiefs, the involvement of Taylor Swift. Fellas, was this the best Super Bowl of all time? If it's not the best Super Bowl, it's got to be in the top three for me. Um, 202 million people watched at least part of the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's the biggest sporting event on the planet. To take it to the biggest event town on the planet in Las Vegas, total win for Las Vegas. It kind of sucked as a media guy, I got to admit. Uh, because yeah, Nate, Nate said it kind of sucked too. Yeah. The, the transportation situation, you know, to go a mile on the strip, you can't really get into a car when it's crowded on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. So you've got to walk and it rains sometimes. And so, yeah. And there's millions of people on the sidewalk. So that was difficult. So that it sucked from that standpoint, but I imagine if you are a NFL fan and you just came down for festivities and parties and all that Las Vegas had to be incredible. Um, so the NFL Tremendous win. They'll be back in Vegas soon. This will be part of the regular Super Bowl city rotation. Get mm -hmm. used to that. Yeah, but I, I think it just shows the growing popularity of the Super Bowl. The last three Super Bowls have been decided by three points. So when we are drawing up drama, compelling mm -hmm. action, the Super Bowl has given it that to us the last three years. No longer these 
55 to three games with the Cowboys and the Bills mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Right. Sorry, DMAC. Uh, real, real competitive, compelling football. Two great teams, two great coaches. Uh, one great quarterback, one really, really good quarterback. There's a lot of compelling things about this football game. These matchups are great. The NFL gave us a treat this postseason from a number of games perspective, but this one in particular, um, NFL freight train is going nothing but forward and going nowhere but faster and bigger. So uh, tip of the cap to all those owners as they rake in more and more billions. Until Travis Kelsey and Tra- Taylor Swift break up. <laughs> maybe she dates another football player and that creates a new album for her and That's more right. interest for the Swifties. I want to hear an album about this season for her. That that would be a lot of revelations there. I think this season coalesced some 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 off the field pop culture interest that was is very um unlikely in every every year. And so this was, you know, the, the most intrigue I think you'll ever see in a foot in a in a Super Bowl matchup. Um, um and yet, you know, the NFL I think is is understands that the high school participation of the sport is, is waning. I mean, they got the, they got the SpongeBob thing going on. They're trying to appeal to a younger crowd. They got the international commercials on. They're trying to appeal to international kids. They do understand that numbers in high school football are on the decline. And so it's an, it's an interesting dichotomy there where the game of the NFL game is more popular than ever. And the high school game is probably less popular than it has been in a long time. Will that make the NFL product suffer in 10, 15 years? I don't really know. Um, I've heard that, but but I don't see it happening. I mean, when concussion came out, <clears throat> the idea was that, you know, if 10% of parents decide not to put their kids in, they, well, this was 10 years ago, and still the game is still ascending, right, at the NFL yep. level. So, yep. so clearly the NFL is aware that they have to market it to a younger crowd, and Taylor Swift really helped that. SpongeBob helped that. The international mm-hmm. commercials are helping that. Um, but I, I would agree with you. I think this was probably, without being a prisoner of the moment, greatest Super Bowl of all time. And yes, if Taylor Swift breaks up with um, Kelsey and starts dating George Kittle, and, <laughs> and we have the Niners, Kansas City. <laughs> I mean, you thought you'd have big numbers, but if that happens, woo! All right, fellas. Well, you know, as one season ends, another season begins, and there's always plenty to talk about. We'll be back at it tomorrow at 8 a.m. sharp to uh, chuckle at pain as we kill you with truth. Fellas, have a great day. Peace. See ya.